We begin 10 minutes into this interview with quantum physicist and author Emmett Gazwami as we were not able to record the beginning of the show due to technical difficulties. We now join Emmett as he describes the general prejudicial attachment to material science. Well um, uh, established in the scientific mindset that uh, it is taking us, you know, roughly it's a 15%, 85% count. Um, 15% of us uh, have gone, gone over this childish adherence to scientific materialism. But the, the rest of 85% uh, are still adhering to it. And, and you know, uh, I'll give you an example um, that I became aware of recently. Um, one guy, uh, quite well-known uh, neuroscientist, um, he was told of the uh, near-death experience. And, you know, near-death experience is now very, very well established. And the veracity of what people say is undoubtedly established because not only they experience uh, things and tell us, and the transformative experience, not only that is there, but also they describe autoscopic experiences of seeing things at a distance, which other people can verify. The surgeons who perform, the cardiac surgeon who perform the um, reviving, the nurses, so they can verify what the person is describing in the autoscopic vision. You know, people, people describe that they are hovering in the ceiling over their body, being operated on, and uh, they describe things. That is called autoscopic vision. Right. And th so th that can be verified by other people uh, reporting it. So there is just no doubt that this near-death experience, people mm, having experience while they're dead, is real. And, and, and then to top it, I have explained this using quantum physics um, via a very well-known quantum phenomenon, which is called delayed choice, which is now but something... Uh, before also um, become actualized in the same event of choice. Uh, so all this fits. And this scientist, even when he was told of all this, um, he, and, and he says that, no, I still think it is some sort of uh, there is an explanation or it's hocus-pocus. Mm -hmm. So this um, interviewer asks, if you yourself had a near-death would that change your mind? And this person says that no, even that would not change my mind. <laughs> so, you know, these, these people are really extremely, extremely prejudiced. We haven't seen this kind of prejudice outside of fundamentalist religions. Exactly. So, this is what it reminds me of, is, is religious yeah. fervor. So I always say that scientific materialism is a religion. Let's banish it from schools because we have a uh, constitutional forbidden uh, to bring religion into our classrooms in, in, in schools. So at least in schools and in, in, in that area, we, we should, um, we, somebody should bring a lawsuit against the teaching of scientific materialism because it's a religion. So how would that look differently? I mean, um, you're getting obviously a lot of flack from from regular scientists who will not accept or just at least even contemplate the quantum explanations of things because they have uh, established a career in this other area of science that would be contradicted by quantum science, correct? 
Yeah, it, 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 I mean, the point is that you know, whenever their models don't do very well, quantum models do, and so they're also jealous and very um, envious, and um, they don't like it because, of course, um, that will completely topple the all the. Um, you know, it's a big money enterprise. You have to understand, science is no longer uh, like on the olden days like it was 100 years ago. Science is now big, big money enterprise. Billions of dollars are involved. And that is part of the problem, too, because um, if, suppose, uh, the worldview changes, then immediately the uh, research priorities shift. Research priorities go away from all this stuff that we do with high-energy physics and genome project and all these boondoggles, they will go away because there is obviously not much that is coming out of those research except weapons building and few people, um, the pharmaceuticals getting some benefit out of it. But ordinary people don't get much out of it at all. Right. So that will change, and, and, and that is unthinkable, unbearable by the establishment of this materialist science. Yeah, I think that there's a lot standing in the way of opening up to to new ideas because we're still holding them up to old models of what makes sense, and we have to be willing to part with that. And this is certainly what I'm getting from ayahuasca. Um, when you experienced ayahuasca, you had this mind-expanding, um, consciousness-expanding experience, and it, it is an opening, and I wonder if uh, because... It, it accomplishes something like that that people are coming out and so much more open. Um, last week I I interviewed um, a psychologist who experienced ayahuasca and what she said was in her extensive studies of the after effects of ayahuasca, people were more open and that there's actually a way to study that and I'm wondering if this is the problem that we're finding besides agendas and obviously all of these other concerns that people have there's this fundamental issue of of not being open and this is compromising a great great many things especially in the in the area of education but um i do think that things are changing and people are going outside of those institutions to um to to find better answers especially when it comes to healthcare and I think that's the yeah, reason why healthcare, I was going to... the yeah. crucial thing, and the latest data that is actually attracting a lot of attention is, of course, that once one has this expansive phenomena uh, that they find to be real and they themselves experience it, then uh, many people are apparently able to give up drug habits, which is a tremendous tremendous achievement. You know, drug habits are so difficult to get rid of. Although, you know, we we um, we propose quantum leaping, uh, mm-hmm. which is another way, but quantum leaping is a rigorous creative process. Not too many people can can be expected to go through it. Well, so this is why ayahuasca helps people do it. You know, it. People can just take ayahuasca and that gives them expansion. Right. And they, uh, it's their constriction, which, of course, is the biggest barrier that, that they get addicted to a drug. So, oh, um, yeah. Well, I don't think that that's a big worry with ayahuasca, although there are people who go back and back. But as you know, there's the purging aspect of it, and I don't think that that's the intention of the medicine. It's no, really you a know, medicine. I have, I have heard of that, and of course, you know, for me, I support the way I experienced it, which is 
with a spiritual group. I think that expansion should be recognized as a spiritual part of us, mm-hmm. and um, more it is done within a spiritual ritual, the better it is. <laughs> In other words, it should not be a recreation. Then we are trivializing the expansion. So um, I'm not sure if you've, how much you've really heard about people's experiences with ongoing with ayahuasca. Um, for myself, I'd had the dialogue, and it continues. And there's a lot of education around the way that we think and around um, the responsiveness of of reality. So I actually had an opportunity to ask some questions, such as, what is the nature of reality? And the response was, um, reality is flexible. (laughs) Your reality is due to your state. Uh-huh. So I'm just wondering what you think of that. Yeah, but that's a pretty obvious statement. I yeah, mean, you know, unless for you. you are a scientific <laughs> materialist, um, it is a pretty obvious statement because, of course, if reality depends on consciousness, then how consciousness is experienced, uh, that will be that will be very dependent on the mindset that you bring. So and, and and even even for people who are into consciousness in this expansive way, like myself. Uh, I cannot claim that I experience expansion all the time. Mm-hmm. I become contracted, and, and that happens, but it doesn't last very long. That's the only change or transformation that I notice as a scientist, that the you know, periods of contraction become less and less, and more or less um, I don't have to do very much to get back to expanded state. I mean, it just more or less naturally returns to expansion instead of staying staying contracted for very long. Do you think that that has to do with intention? Do you think that there is something to do with intention? Well, transformation is more than intention. I think it is one has to go through the creative process to some extent and experience that flow. I mean, you know, the the drug experience is all good. Ahuska uh, is uh, very good because it's not even habit-forming from what I hear. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, still, it is uh, giving you expansion, but does not give you expansion along with contraction. Whereas the creative experience is so wonderful because it is the flow between the expanded consciousness, quantum self, and the ego, where we are much more contracted, but there is where we have language, there is where we have uh, expertise that will ab- enable me to uh, to um, uh, get the uh, insight into um, some action or some pieces of art or science or what have you. You know, mm-hmm. so this manifestation stage of creativity is entirely dependent on the contracted ego. So uh, this experience of going back and forth between contraction and expansion is, I think, the most um, verifying thing, the most uh, important thing for people to experience, that both are important. Because if you just experience expansion, you get the false notion that expansion is everything and the world is meaningless, like mm. mystics talk like that. But in, if you have the flow experience and you are more um, uh, working towards making the flow experience your pretty much living style, what happens is that you begin to value the world as well as the 
uh, ground of being, as well as the spiritual. So spiritual and material get uh, uh, treated in your psyche in a sort of on the same footing, which I think is very important. Sure, and many people now who are um, involved in, in ayahuasca, the biggest concern that they have these days is, is integration. So you come back, you've had this wonderful experience, but how do you apply it to your life? And the things that you know, many of us have been learning about this fundamental issue of approaching um, life with, from the position of love rather than fear and having that being uh, um, a guide towards navigating your world in a better way since the world is responsive. Do you think that quantum physics backs that up? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. So that is what one, one needs to do. Come back and, and, and reestablish the connections with the world and integrate. Right. So um, does quantum physics kind of back that up that, um, you know, given the fact that we, uh, that the world is responding to us all of the time, if we're emitting this, coming from this position of love, which is a very healthy position, that, that our reality will reflect things more positively? Yeah. I, I know that this exactly. seems like a very obvious thing. <laughs> Not necessarily to everyone, because right. you know, people have that. I have seen this also in the near-death survivors. Some of them uh, come back and integrate. Others become too attached to the um, cosmic consciousness and lose interest in all the affairs and live a little bit in a confused way. You know, it, it, it's, remember, people have this lack of balance. That's what causes the problem. Like scientific materialists have a complete lack of balance towards the spiritual. They're completely stuck in their separateness. And uh, similarly, the uh, experience of expansion makes you so happy, so ecstatic, that similarly can have a similar effect. That mm-hmm. you think that that is the only goal, and you are not ready for it, but you still go and try to establish yourself so that you can experience that expansion all the time. This is what uh, produces some, with some concern, you know, addiction to drugs like LSD, which did happen. I had a uh, friend, a scientist, quite famous actually, you know, John Lilly, um, quite well known in the 1970s, 80s. Uh, he once told me that he would uh, start a program for himself where he would just take one LSD and then when it wears off, he'll right away take another dose of LSD so that he can constantly stay in that state of expansion and never has to come down. Wow. And that, of course, would completely make him addicted and this personality would be completely wasted away into his own very personal ecstasy, not remembering the whole reason that the oneness is important to us is so that we serve the world. Right. So it's our others who are stuck. Yeah. Um, so back to, um, I wanted to ask you about an experience that you discussed in uh, Quantum Activist, this experience of have, hearing this voice. Um, I'm wondering if how much did that happen before ayahuasca or afterwards? Uh, which one? When you heard this voice, you were at a conference and you heard this uh, voice, <laughs> right? You mean the, the Tibetan Book of the Dead uh, is correct? Your job to prove it, that one? Something to, to that led to that, but first there was the question of why do you live this way? 
oh, why do I live this way? Right. Yeah, that that one was uh, long before Ahuska. Uh, Really? Uh, Husko was nineteen ninety six, that was nineteen seventy three. Wow. That was that was what what started my midlife transition. Okay. I was very stuck with my materialist lifestyle and materialist work and you know, I was a I was going to be a full professor, um and all that was very clear. Um I was reaching the top of the academic ladder, but no happiness. Because uh, you know my life was not working, and my work was working in the sense I was producing a lot of paper, but I knew that this is all meaningless work. It has no no consequences to how people live. In fact, you know um, this is what is true of most people's work, even people who end up getting Nobel prizes. Right. What they do is um, just not not much usefulness. That is the fact. Quantum physics is one of the exceptions, of course, and structure of DNA, you know, those are things that are exceptions. But what most scientists do, even when they're important work in the scientific sense, but not really important for um, improving people's lot, improving how people live. Right, and, and this is what people want to know about. <laughs> yeah, that's precisely what turned me around, because because what uh, happened in that experience after a whole day of feeling jealous, which is, uh, you know, most scientists' motivation for doing that kind of thing, of course, is one-upmanship. Can I compete? Can I be better than anybody else? These are the motivations. Right. So when that motivation is challenged, like you go to a conference and everybody is presenting, and jealousy arises. Mm-hmm. So jealousy arose and jealousy arose and jealousy arose the whole day. So after the end of the day, I found myself, you know, at a party and uh, jealousy arose then not because people's physics uh, was better than me, but because they're getting more attention from the women folk. But of course, <laughs> I was married, so you know, <laughs> I was not even not even going to be able to respond to anybody if really somebody became interested, but still jealousy. So I got so disgusted with myself that I went outside. Uh, the conference was taking place by a, uh, by the Monterey Bay. So the ocean air uh, hit me, hit my face, and all of a sudden this thought came, why do I live this way? And the conviction, I don't have to. I can I can be happy. I can do happy physics. So that search for happy physics has brought me back. What brought me back to quantum physics? All the unfinished stuff, you know. When I was a graduate student, I still remember I I had some misgivings, and I asked my professor, and the professor says, "Don't go that route. You will get stuck, and that will be the end of your career." Really? If you want a good career in physics, learn to use quantum physics. So I took his advice and learned to use it and become <laughs> unhappy. <laughs> <laughs> so did this this voice that you heard, what, what's your quantum view of that? I mean, it continued, right? You received this kind of guiding voice. Uh, well, I wouldn't go that far that it continued in that way, but but I did I did hear it that time very clearly um, and. Um, but it was not really quite separate from me. This was more like a thought that came to me. Um, whereas the other times I did, I have heard voice uh, while waking up on a dreamlike state, 
I heard the voice that Tibetan Book of the Dead is correct. It's your job is to prove it. That was a voice. And you took that and, seriously. Um, <laughs> excuse me? You took it seriously. Of course. Yeah. I have to. When, when you hear such a thing... But, you know, the description of these traits that I give uh, using quantum physics and Jungian psychology is they are events of synchronicity. That makes very much sense because, you know, something is happening that I could not possibly cause, but this something is coincidentally producing a change of my mindset. And this is, this, um, is extremely important for for scientists, because uh, scientific discoveries depend on the change of the mindset, and yet uh, we are human beings, so we get stuck with our belief system, right. because that belief system has paid in the past, but unfortunately every belief system becomes a limiting belief mm. system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find that I'm being challenged a lot. I've I've got my own guiding voice that happens with me constantly, and it's continually yes. asking me to change the way that I yes. view the world constantly. And it's 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 very hard to be that open to do that. But um, each time I do, and I I can just I everything expands, and I understand things better. And and then comes the challenges, and it goes on and on. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So what, how would you change the educational system if you had the opportunity to introduce quantum physics um, at, you know, at an early stage? Would, would it replace conventional science as we learn it now? It, it, it would really revamp the science education and all education completely. Today we are more and more making the deep questions of our life um, obscure or unnecessary or just mere information to get a grade. Mm-hmm. Um, that style um, is just very clear. Life is stuck in this human condition. Namely, we seek pleasure and we suffer from negative emotions and we are very constricted. These are the three uh, dominant aspects of the human condition. And, of course, thought is just information. So these four things um, are killing people, making them into morons, so much so (laughs) that the scientific description of us as uh, P-robots, philosophical robots, is becoming more and more like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, goodness. They they have a definition of a robot, which is completely mechanical. What's the difference of a human being? Human beings, in addition, have experiences. (laughs) <laughs> they experience themselves as a subject to these objective experiences. That's the idea. But these experiences have no, this subject has no um, causal uh, power, no causal efficacy. So this subject is a useless subject that we experience for some reason. Uh, usually the reason that is given is evolution. There must be some survival value to it, and that's it. There's no other reason to have it because it has no causal power. So this is the picture. And we sort of fulfill it ourselves by falling prey to how society wants us to grow up. And so we get educated in that way, converting all meaningful things into information. And, um, you know, then there's the Internet, so we don't even have have to keep the information in our head. We can just know how to look it up on the Internet, you know, how to Google it. Um, 
and we start believing whatever is Google. I mean, we don't we don't have the capacity of understanding and making the judgment for myself anymore. The reason that false news is now so easy to spread because everything is just other people's opinion, but we have no opinion to uh, sift through what is correct and what is not correct well. ourselves. So, you know, it's just a, comp- a society completely lost in illusion. And uh, to bring back the uh, human society to this machine society that we are approaching is so important, and yet the avenues are so blocked. Right. You try to change high school education or elementary school education, you won't be able to. You'll not be allowed to. You try to change even college education where there is a little more freedom. Even that is very difficult because the, um, they have um, evaluation boards, and these boards make sure that you are uh, towing the party line, namely scientific materialism. Anybody who does otherwise is so difficult to get uh, approval from these uh, rating uh, agencies. So, so, you know, we have some transpersonal psychology uh, institutions in California and a few other places, but they have a hard time getting uh, approval. Uh, and when you don't get approval, students don't, don't get loans to carry through their studies. And without loans, you know how hard it is to pay for the hugely expensive higher education today. Right. So I'm struggling to make changes. Mm-hmm. Um, I am determined to pr- start some transformative education centers in America and Brazil and Argentina and England right now, in India, uh, those five places. And we'll see how we go. Transformative education, education which will more concentrate on the unconsciousness and how to live, um, how to transform so that we don't live in that human condition, which is very, very constricted. But we wake up to the humanness. Right. We don't live in that machine condition, but wake up to humanness, become more creative, become more open, become more happy, become more intelligent, and become more caring towards others. Right. And and these are all things that are happening out of ayahuasca experiences en masse, really. And um, you're right, like when you said the experience is, is so important because... It kind of goes deeper. I've described this state of knowing that that's many people experience within ayahuasca. It, you, you don't have to reason through anything. You just know. <laughs> you're you're mm-hmm. there already. Yeah. And then yeah. you come back into this world, and it's a matter of, of supporting that. And I think quantum physics is a great way of supporting it. But I do Absolutely. see how what a... What a what a different path it is than conventional science. And have you have you approached, um, I think that you've discussed the difficulties with schools in terms of, um, is there no high school programs that introduce this at all? Or? <laughs> high <laughs> okay. schools are very difficult to, uh, to get into. And also, of course, you know, quantum physics um, is very easy to tackle with high school students if given the proper environment, but to convince the school principals would be very difficult because the model of physics teaching that we have is that Newtonian physics first, and by the time they reach quantum physics, they're grounded already in the deterministic machine world of Newton. And for that, from that to go into... You know, they don't even have uh, any um, teaching in psychology and 
Oh, goodness, uh, that's to, right. To, to yeah. speak of, you know, if they could be at least be, um, be exposed to the idea that conventional science cannot explain consciousness, and that would be nice. But, <laughs> uh, but really, people come to us, you know, I have been giving workshops, of course, transformative right. workshops, which I call quantum activism for a long time. Right. So what happens, many of these um, products of uh, high school, higher education, they come to me, and they have never experienced themselves as a subject to an experience. Can you believe it? They think that consciousness is an object. Hmm. It's amazing. I mean, the changes that this uh, education, uh, the robot robotization of this education is just amazing. Right. Um, I, the reason I ask about this, I have a young son, and I've, I've, there's um, some animation that I think was in uh, one of the films you're in about um, just introducing a very rudimentary idea of the, the double slit experiment, and, and I'm starting to expose him young because I think that once we grow up in this kind of world with that kind of um, flat thinking, it's, it's very difficult to, to move on and, and open up. But as kids, there's this wonderful opportunity. They, haven't had, they don't have all these presets, and uh, it would be nice to introduce it at such a young age, and that could really change things. So Absolutely. that's why I'm thinking Absolutely. of younger, I mean, older people, they can go out and, and experience ayahuasca and whatever and make these choices, which is, is difficult, and often they're only made because they find themselves in situations where their health cannot be treated by conventional means and and whatever the case may be um it, it's great when they move move through that but yeah there there is one place where somebody has to attempt to i am not the best person for it because i have no experience of dealing with small children and women would be better for that anyway because you know they are they have the additional qualification of being mothers <laughs> so what i'm talking about is preschool i mean the rule center when kindergarten already is rule-bound, and uh, elementary school, no way. You know, it's all rule-bound. But preschool, I don't usually like the idea of um, this, uh, people being educated that early before right. the age of five. Sure. Uh, five is when kindergarten begins. I but, agree, um, yeah. you know, I was educated homeschooled until 11, and nobody schooled me into anything. I myself did a little bit of it, uh, actually quite a bit of it, because I was just a curious child. Um, but that uh, upbringing worked for me. So I am very keen for people to get um, not so much education very early. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's, that's um, a hard sell. But still, in this, this is one way of entering the fray and the. A suggestion comes that if uh, if we do institute something, some expansion between the age of four and five, that may have a lasting impression because belief systems form in our early age because uh, kids don't have the discriminating power. So people can misuse it. Of course, it is being misused a lot already in preschools in various parts of the country, dangerous places for putting your child into preschool because... Once and for all, they are all going to be scientific materialists when they grow up because it is being drilled into them. Right. So um, that is the danger of it. But still, um, if we can compete with this preschool uh, educational system of scientific materialism, then I think some good might come out of it. 
um, in some places of the world. A lot of people are, are, are looking for alternative education for their children. I, I certainly am. I mean, my son is very scientifically minded. I can tell that right now. Um, and I'm introducing him to all the concepts that I'm learning from my experiences with ayahuasca and outside of ayahuasca and from this great guiding voice that continues every day for me. Um, but it, it's, it's such a challenge when you have... Um, such societal norms that um, make it very difficult to, to break through that that um, assumption that you know you're a bad person if you don't formally educate your child and what future will they have you know and it makes you ask these questions so yeah. uh, it would be nice to have some support within you know areas of people who've already kind of made these discoveries and and have some kind of background with academics you know. I don't know. I'm yeah. just putting it out there. Yeah. I, I think that it has to be coordinated. Um, I think that, uh, you know, if the worldview changes, the priority is to change the worldview. The reason I spend, dedicate completely my whole working life to um, writing and educating, uh, giving workshops, and now these transformational institutions that we are going to start within a year. Um, so, yeah, the education, of course, and then 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 these people, my dream is that they will, uh, we are going to train the trainers. We are going to train people who will change education, will change economics, will change how to uh, take care of health, uh, will change um, politics, um, every area that you can think of, mm-hmm. there will be changes. And uh, how to bring about the changes? Uh, that will have to grow in a much more bigger context than one person or a few institutions can offer. And this is where you come in, and this is where others will, similar-minded people, transpersonal psychology and energy psychology and lots of other uh, systems are developing. You know, ecology is a major one. So we, we have people. As I said, 15% of, uh, you know, in this country there is 330 million people. But 15% of it is... It's huge, and it's just no question that we are a huge number. Right. So, um, so I'm very hopeful that that uh, that things are going to change. And mm, very me quickly. too. I mean, this political um, turmoil that you're having right now, uh, combine that with the economic term, uh, turbulence that we have ten years ago. Uh, you know, these two things are symptoms and. But people are feeling that this society that materialism has given us is breaking down. Mm-hmm. It's not working. I do and the more that people too. feel that way, the better it is for people who are dedicated to making changes. Quantum worldview is there forever. I mean, it is, it, it is what it is. So right. nobody is going to change that. Nobody is going to challenge it. And because it is experimentally established, it is wonderful theory that has been verified over and over again. So don't doubt it, Rebecca. Changes are going to come. Oh, I don't doubt. I I can see changes happening all the time, um, and and I love the idea that this subject could be that science could be you know treat, taught in such a way where this is what this has to do with you. I think that many of us as kids sat in classes and said, "What what does any of this have to do with us?" And we did have yeah, exactly. like no sense of ourselves, as you said. We were yeah. treated like it's we were automatons, training. and yeah. yeah, and and yeah. what a miserable introduction to what the world. What a miserable introduction! It's all what you can do, how to make a living, so that you can entertain yourself. That's the teaching. That's the whole lifestyle of the materialist. 
how you can entertain yourself. You make a living so that you get money to spend on the consumer goods to entertain yourself. Oh, this is it. It's all what geared toward what job. Life. Yeah, what job are you going to do? And and they start talking about this so young, and it just it does seem very <laughs> cold introduction to this is what it's like to grow up. And, and I, I mean, I'm surprised that they actually want to grow up so fast when they're introduced to the idea that, and then you get a job and you make money to buy things, and this is it. <laughs> this is it, exactly. But, you know, this I have written a book called the everything answer book right. which, where I deal with the meaning of life. We really have to bring back meaning of life into our educational system. That this fundamental question that um, young people, you know, to their credit, young people are not staying within this scientific materialistic machine philosophy. They are getting out of it. They're desperate to getting out of it. You know, Occupy Wall Street was a symbol of it. Barney Sanders' big support was a symptom of it. Um, the, uh, both of the political parties in this country has to recognize that people want meaning. Mm-hmm. The support of either the fundamentalist religion that Republicans tend to do or fundamentalist uh, materialism that Democrats tend to do got to go and give away to quantum physics and quantum worldview because quantum worldview brings meaning back to us. Right. And unless we ask those questions of meaning, we are not happy. We really are not happy. And I think that, you know, even as controversial as it is, um, kids um, becoming involved in drugs is is an excellent example of a a symptom. Um, People becoming depressed and, and all of these things. We want meaning. We want something. We know there's something more. And yeah, I think that it's that, a very natural response to this dismal introduction to the world. Exactly. But if you are told repeatedly by your teachers that there is nothing in the world except pleasure-seeking, then what do you do? I mean, obviously, the drugs can give you pleasure to the level where, you know, even sex cannot give you pleasure to that level because our sexual apparatus seem to have, you know, some limited ability. You cannot just go on having sex. But drugs, you can go on having drugs, and you know that is what uh, addicts uh, produces addiction, because you can go on having these euphoric states, and you get attached to it, and the worldview says that that is it, that's human life, you seek pleasure because there's nothing else. <laughs> so what a miserable way to teach people. <laughs> we got to change that. That is the sum and summary of what we are talking about this hour. So do you find that even within this world of science that people break through um, through their interest in quantum physics, like they have this materialist view and then suddenly they start to see the kinds of things that, um, you know, the first people who discovered quantum, uh, quantum physics discovered and that, that do you see that some people actually get excited and that it changes their life like it did with you? Yes, some people do, but you know, this uh, competitiveness that pervades in the academe in the West, that doesn't help. The the biggest uh, impediment that we are facing in worldview change is that the people who even talk about change, people talk about post-materialist science and all, but uh, they are so gung-ho in that competition that they don't recognize um, uh, other people's work. And like, you know, few of us in quantum physics, we recognize the power of quantum worldview. But the um, other fields, you know, they want something to come from their fields. So 
they're still stuck in their how to prove my own supremacy you know, as I am the initiator, great discoverer of consciousness. You know, those things dominate the the worldview of the, even the people who are make, trying to make changes. And this doesn't help. People are so competitive, it's incredible. I mean, people are talking about the same thing, but they will not use the, uh, or even mention the other person who has already dealt with those things. And people don't each, re- read each other's work. People don't acknowledge each other's work. Right. All gung-ho in terms of establishing that what is in it for me. So, so transformation is essential. We cannot just produce a worldview. We cannot just produce new science. We cannot just give people drug experiences. Uh, what we have to do in addition is, you got it right, education. We have to educate them and really start making people see that the meaning of consciousness is one is that you live that, you live what is the meaning of consciousness is one by loving another person, really mm-hmm. loving, really giving up the competitiveness and really caring for the other and cooperate and, and see the relevance of all this. So, you know, what I find interesting is that when, when anybody talks about um, their spiritual experiences and, and all of these amazing things that can happen with this expanded consciousness, such as, you know, hearing voices and, and astral travel and all kinds of interesting things that happen to people, the event that happened to you when you had that accident and you're walking and hearing the celestial music from your ayahuasca experience four years earlier. You know, a lot of people, when you talk about these things openly, which I am talking very openly about all of these things and encouraging so many people to do so, what often comes back in response is people use science as a way to disprove all of these things, and yet science really does support it. It's just it's quantum science, not this conventional science. So there's tremendous irony there, but I do want you to (laughs) confirm for all those people out there who've been struggling with this so much that the quantum physics does actually really support these experiences. Yes. It is the it is the biggest kept secret, just as the idea of quantum non-locality, that this expansiveness is reality. That idea experimentally verified in 1982, you know, more than 30 years ago. And it's a, just a shame that bulk of the world goes on and they don't even know that we now have scientifically proven that consciousness is one and that's the basis of reality not the way the materialists picture it and publicize it, Thanks, no thanks to the media every day that we are separate, we are separate, we are separate. Mm-hmm. And so there's still a great deal of mystery. I think that a lot of scientists don't like that, and yet we're, we're in love with the idea of mystery, and, and I've had to learn to become quite okay with it myself. <laughs> Um, through my own experiences, I wanted to explain them and understand everything, and I realized that I, I, I may never understand all of it. I'm just getting bit by bit, and I'm sure that quantum exploration is, is somewhat the same. It's limitless. Well, we, we, we understand we understand quite a bit, but of course you are right. I mean, we cannot possibly understand everything. So, you know, although I have written a book called Everything I'm <laughs> quite aware that there will be another level of science to explain some of the data that yogis talk about, that um, people who research things like UFO, they experience, and 
you know, it, it's bound to happen, another level of science, that course in miracles called the science of eternity. And, and there may be another science of post-eternity. Who knows? I mean, the thing is that we should not limit ourselves. Science goes on because human consciousness has unlimited, infinite potentiality. That uh, is obvious. So how can we try to limit it? So right. what we're saying, actually, is that quantum worldview can give you answers to everything that you ask yourself and be very, very puzzled about today. Right. right now, it is very good, very good to get answers from the quantum worldview because it's really giving us solution to the problem that we have in econ- economy, in politics, in everything. education, in <laughs> science, in health everything that you can think of. Okay, I think we're going to have to sign off now. Thank you so much. I could go on and on, and you could go on and on, and it would be a great discussion. Maybe you'll have to come on another time, but I would. I loved having you, and thank you so much for, for calling in today. Thank you, Rebecca. It was a good, good conversation. <laughs> thank you. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.